Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guest today is Rabbi Levi Upson, uh, who's the rabbi of Linksfield Shul and the High FM presenter for the Fabringen program, which is at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest you listen to it, although today we're doing a shared program. I had such a gift of time, Rabbi, on Sunday. I saw you person to person, not through online or on screen. Uh, even though it was behind a mask, I still saw your face. That was very meaningful. You mean you saw my eyes? I saw your eyes, but your eyes can tell a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> like all of us, eyes it talk was, a lot. They certainly do, and I think they're beginning to speak even more through through us wearing our masks. Um, our topic today is the last freedom, and human freedom, as Frankel said, is not freedom from, but freedom to. He says it's to be free means not only to be different, but also to be able to become different. That is to change. What is your opinion of that, Rabbi? So I'm going to ask you a question, Sue, instead of answering. Mm-hmm. I asked you. <laughs> what, what inspired you to talk about freedom now? Why do you feel that freedom is a topic needing to delve into? All right. I'll tell you why. Because I believe that we're facing choices at the moment once again. When we first went into lockdown, a lot of what our so-called freedom was removed from us. And we went into lockdown, which was a forced lockdown. Now we're gradually coming out of lockdown, but there's a lot more choice in it because people can choose. Do they want to go out more into the public spaces, into shores, into churches, into mosques? Do we want to go shopping? Do we want to meet friends? There's a lot of freedom of choice that's coming in now. And with that freedom comes a lot of uncertainty. And whereas when we first went into lockdown, there was so much uncertainty and fear in that because we didn't know what to expect. We became used to that and almost began to live within that isolation of being within our homes. Now we're having to let that go. It's it's I suppose it's like coming out of a cocoon. You don't know what to expect. And you're going back into love, but there are expectations of us. What is your thought on that? That's a good answer, right? Yeah, that was a good answer. Um, (laughs) There's no question that anxiety is a byproduct of freedom much more than it is a byproduct of jail time. In other words... Being locked up comes with its own mental challenges, but I would say that anxiety is very much a byproduct of freedom. And they've done many studies to show, for example, you go into a store and you have two jams to choose from, the anxiety level is low. When you have 60 jams to choose from, the anxiety level is high, and chances are you won't make a choice. Same thing with when uh, South Africa had one or two TV channels, 
It was much simpler. Now you go on, you have no idea where to start. You end up not watching anything. So there's no question that there's a strong association between choice and anxiety. Because by definition, the moment you're given choice, now you have to feel empowered to make a choice. And if I make that choice, oh my gosh, if I go out, I might get infected. If I don't go out, I might go out of my mind. If, 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 if. But if someone tells you what to do, then although it comes with feeling stifled, etc., anxiety is not there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- that actually explains why so many people will choose b- voluntarily to live under dictatorships. Not everybody. I'm not saying everybody within a dictatorship will, but there's no question that even now politics is becoming much more extreme right wing or extreme left wing both ways, which is more dictatorial and giving the government a lot of power. And the reason people are gravitating it is because it's a time of uncertainty. Uncertainty causes anxiety. I don't like anxiety, so let me now go to something else. Now, they're not realizing that you're choosing something else. You're getting something much worse. Absolutely, and we'll get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back with uh, Rabbi Levi Upson. My name is Sue Jackson, and we're on the Finding Human show. And Rabbi, you were saying that people can live within uh, uh, dictatorships because sometimes there is a sense of um, safety in that and security. But is that how we as humans are supposed to live? Of course not. But I, I want to still explore that to really understand the psychology of it. Teenagers. Teenagers are going from dependent children to independent adults, but the transition is often complicated. That's when anxiety hits the roof. That's when depression hits the roof and, unfortunately, suicide as well. Midlife crisis. What's next? What's going to be the next thing? Like the highest growth in suicide in the United States have been white males over 50. Um, again, options cause anxiety and we're so scared of anxiety. Anxiety is considered the devil in our time. Um, and therefore, I'll do anything I can not to have to confront it. So, for example, hundreds of people reach out to, to North Korea every day asking to join the Democratic Republic of North Korea because, you know, they, they want choice to be taken away from them. But we're not realizing that the gift is freedom. Freedom is the gift to choose. Yes, choice can cause anxiety, but that is the definition of freedom, that now you are taking control of your life. To live a life where somebody else makes decisions for you is living a life of childhood. It's living a life of slavery. Now, is there a place for children to have that? Yes. A child who doesn't have that is a very dangerous situation. They don't have the full mental and emotional capacity to make their own decisions. But for an adult to relinquish the choice and say, I prefer not choosing, although it's understandable, it's unfortunate. I have to agree with you, absolutely. And I think, you know, I really do believe that children need to understand that there is there is a responsibility that actually comes with being alive. And if that responsibility is taken away from you, you don't grow, definitely. And you don't grow into that. What What is life asking of us? It's asking us to respond to whatever challenges are coming our way. So responsibleness is to respond to life's call, 
to actually say, what is life asking of me now? And I think, is it the Mishnah Torah that says that, um, in, in, uh, that life actually, we, we do, that's the choice. We have choices. And the, the one choice is that we do have that freedom to choose how we respond. Yeah. But ultimately, that's a freedom. The, f- the first thing we have to convince ourselves or convince our, you know, subconsciousness is that is freedom. And y- you see this in the Torah. The Jewish people are in Egypt and pretty much they're, they're, you don't read a, a lot about their complaining, although I'm sure they were. But then they come <laughs> into the desert and they can't stop complaining. Literally the, the book of uh, the Exodus, the book of the uh, number of Shemot, Bamidbar, uh, uh, just quetching and quetching and quetching. What was the big quetch about? You took a bunch of people who were slaves, not by their choice, for a long time. And now you're putting them in the desert and there's nobody telling them what to do. And they have a full day to fill and a million options and they're just going crazy. And they say, we remember the miserable food that we ate in Egypt, but we miss it. And they, they, they glorify it. They say, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt and the fantastic food. And you're like, dude, you didn't eat anything over there. You, you were getting starvation meals. And yet, each day I knew that the bucket's going to arrive in my pit and that's what I'm going to eat. And now I'm scared. But that is what it means to be alive. That's the gift of life. The gift of life is the gift of choice. That's what and it means you know, to be human. Absolutely. And Elizabeth Lucas, a very well-known logotherapist, Dr. Elizabeth Lucas, said that there's such a thing as healthy stress. And healthy stress is future-oriented. So it's actually reaching out beyond our present situation to to think to ourselves, okay, let me see how I can deal with this to to build up enough strength to cope with what's 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 asking of me next. Because we never do know what is our next situation. And so she, she says it's, it's working towards like a meaning that's to be attained. And then she also talks about healthy leisure. And I think this is very important actually, because she says that healthy leisure is, is actually relaxation after a job that's well done. So it's not doing nothing and just thinking, I'm just going to relax anyway and do nothing with the rest of my life. And we have seen certain people doing that within lockdown, sort of saying, okay, well, all choices have been removed from me. So let me just watch Netflix all day, you know, or or whatever they're wanting to watch. Uh, I mean, I don't condemn that. That's their choice. But that is not healthy leisure. That's actually is not celebrating after a job well done. And I don't know if you'll agree with me there, but I do find that if I've had a day where I know that I've had a, that I've been useful in my own life in many, in whatever way, and I've taken responsibility for my day, I do enjoy that leisure time when it does come. You're nodding your head. So absolutely. And I mean, you said so many stuff and like so many thoughts you, you, you triggered. One of my favorite TED Talks is a talk by Kelly McGill. I believe it's her. And she argues, based on uh, scientific data, that it's not stress that kills us. It's stress about stressing. <laughs> where where so you're true. actually, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressful. I'm feeling overwhelmed. 
just go ahead. Yeah, fine. You're feeling overwhelmed. Just do it. No, I'm, I'm not coping. I'm not coping. I shouldn't have that. And like that itself is what's killing you. It's not the stress. In other words, we become so anti-stress. I remember uh, one time we had a lecture she, by a woman. She was a stress professor. And I had to endure 45 minutes of her speech. May she forgive me if she's listening. <laughs> and all I could think about 45 minutes was this is the most stressful person I'm ever listening to talking to me about not being stressed. And it was just like, like, uh, <laughs> I think we have to stop talking about how evil stress is and actually talk about how good it is to live, even if it's stressful. We've become so stress phobic. So pretty much a good life is you're walking around with a big smile on your face, just like the advertisements. And life is glorious and life is fantastic and amazing. And you're like, no, it isn't. And it's still beautiful. Where's the truth in that? And uh, Craig is sending us a message. We'll be back with you in a minute. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back with Rabbi Levi Upson, and we're about to hear a very short YouTube, which I think you'll enjoy, Rabbi. It's by Rabbi Manus Friedman, and it's called What is Freedom of Choice? It's about two and a half minutes. Thank you. Where then is this magnificent gift of freedom of choice? So Hasidic philosophy says like this. True freedom of choice consists of choosing your identity. Not so much your actions as your identification. With whom do you identify? Where do you belong? To whom do you belong? In Yiddish, um, an adult would meet a child in a shtetl or someplace in, uh, in a Jewish community. And in Yiddish, he would want to find out who this person is, who this child is. And the question would be, Vemens bistu? Whose are you? Not, what is your name? But whose are you? Whose child are you? Whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? Where do you belong? That identification is where our freedom of choice really lies. We can at any time, without any interference from any force in the world, we can choose where we belong. A person can be sitting in a Soviet prison with all of his freedoms taken away, except for the freedom to belong where he chooses to belong. His identity cannot be imposed, nor can it be taken away. So to use Sharansky as an example, Anatoly Sharansky was sitting in prison for nine years. All his personal freedoms were taken away. He did exactly what the Russians told him to do, except for one thing. He did not belong there. He never belonged there, not for a moment. He belonged in Israel. In fact, as far as he was concerned, he was in Israel. He can place himself where he wants to be. That's the true freedom of choice. That freedom isn't dependent on anything else. You choose it, and it's there. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Rabbi Levi Aftson, and our, our 
topic today is the last freedom. Rabbi, that particular um, YouTube by Rabbi Manus Friedman, I think, was particularly good because what he's saying is, I can in spite of. So in spite of the circumstances, in spite of fate, I can still choose to do something. I can self-transcend beyond it. What did you, what meaning did you find in that? So I agree. I would say even more, more than what he's saying. I would say that you have to believe in choice. In other words, you have to believe in its value. Just like, I'll give you an example from a totally different thing, marriage. Some people believe in love, but not enough people believe in marriage. Now, if you believe in love, if the love goes out the window, the marriage goes out the window. If you believe in marriage, regardless of what happens with the love, you stay in the marriage. I'm not talking about the dysfunction or like abuse. I'm just saying 90% of marriages. So same thing over here. I think that in our generation, we're stuck. Some of us, whether it's, you know, extreme politics or just the world we're living in, we're forgetting the gift of choice. We're forgetting that it's a gift. It's something that humanity, for most of history, did not have. The gift to make your own choices each day. It's something that unless you were a king or queen, if you were just one of the simple peasants for most of history, you didn't get that. And that choice is an incredible gift. It's the gift of being human. But you have to believe that's a gift. Because if you start seeing it as a curse... Like I know certain people, good people, all well-intentioned people, who are terrified every time they have to make a choice. They just absolutely enter anxiety, panic. Oh my gosh, no, 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 what do I have to choose? Do I have to choose, oh my gosh, an outfit. I have to choose, I have to choose a, a house to live in. I have to choose if I'm taking this airplane or that airplane. What, what's that? Um, to the other side of the world, etc. Just like absolute <laughs> panic. You know, that's, that's a gift. You're mm. right now being given the gift of to choose what chair you want to get. Why is that a curse? Why is it freaking you out? What's the worst that's going to happen if you make the wrong choice? I always tell my children, rather make the, no ch the wrong choice than no choice at all. Because I every time you're frozen, you go nowhere. You know, I have to, um, you're so right. And my father actually taught me about the almost the responsibility of choice. We used to often go for, for a walk in the evening, and we lived near the rivers. And he showed me how to throw a, a, a pebble into a, the river and how it had ripples effect. And as a very little girl, he taught me that each ripple has an effect on the next ripple and the next ripple, and it goes bigger. The circle becomes bigger and bigger if you throw a pebble in and you start those ripples. So what you're starting, you've got to understand that there is a responsibility in that, in even beginning. There's a choice in that, in whether we begin or not. But once we begin, we've got to understand that there's a responsibility that comes with it because our actions cause other actions and reactions, and so it goes on. And I'll never forget that story of a stone and the ripple effect because it's very true. And Rabbi, uh, you know, uh, Victor Frankl talks about each of us have our own concentration camps within us. And he says, and we've got to deal with these, and we've got to deal with them with patience, with understanding, with forgiveness, often of, our, of ourselves. And we alone know the conditions of our own concentration caps. 
and we have to make the choice of how to cope with those conditions. You're nodding your head. I so like seeing you here. (laughs) (laughs) We have to make the choices, but again, I'm sorry for harping on it. You have to believe that the choice to deal with your demons is a gift. Like some people go to therapy for once, they're forced into the therapist room, and after an hour, they suddenly realize, gosh, I have a lot of skeletons, they panic. And you're like, one second, you're being given a gift. The gift is to explore the, the skeletons in your closet, some of them to leave, some of them to explore. But why is going into those places and being forced to confront choices seen as such a curse? People, like you see it, that unless you're vulnerable, whatever that buzzword means, most people are just still scared to go there. Like, isn't it a gift why is denying your issues or denying your inability to make choice liberating? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cage. Every issue of myself that I'm not willing to sit there, you know, like, I don't know, someone has an anger problem. So their spouse tells them, you have to deal with your anger. No, no, it's not me that's angry. You're being given a portal. Someone's offering you a portal into a part of yourself that can make you a better person. But you're just so scared of what that will lead you to and the choices you'll have to make, you prefer living in jail. And you just think about how many times a day we opt out of choice. And each moment we do that, we are enslaving ourselves. We're not making necessarily anyone else's life more miserable, although sometimes we might be. It's us. It's another gate that we're locking and saying, no, no, not there, not there, not there, not there, not there. You know who you're putting in the cage? Yourself. And, and you know, you're stopping all growth in that way. And I, I read a story the other day about the growth of a frog. And once again, my father actually taught me this because we had a pond at home. And he showed me how a frog starts, you know, a little with lava and the little egg and how that egg begins to change. And then you gradually see it. If you ever get a chance to teach your children this, it's the most wonderful thing to see how this little lava becomes, it changes, and then a tail grows, a little tadpole, and little feet come out of it. And it's a metamorphosis. And I think every stage of our lives are requiring us to make that metamorphosis. And I know you love the Belshemtov sayings, and I do also, and the Belshemtov actually says that fear builds walls to, that, uh, to bar the light. And I think that's exactly what does happen. Because even if we go back to that little story of the frog, if the, as a tadpole, if it stopped there, that's what it would remain. A tadpole. It would never grow beyond it to know what it was to be a full-grown frog. And the freedom that came with it, that you can then jump out of the pond or onto a lily pad. You're not stuck in the water any longer. And I think so often we feel that we are drowning and we forget to look at what our choices are and that we do have choices. So interesting, while you were talking, it, it, it gave me the, the thought, you know, often go to Barmi or Bati, again, what's that? We haven't been in one in a while. But uh, you go to Barmi or Bati and you hear the rabbi or the parents, usually it's the dad and mom saying, Boyki or my dear daughter, you're now an adult. Now, blah, 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 blah. Now, often it doesn't finish the sentence. You're now an adult and what does that mean? 
Now an adult means pretty much you're to take care of yourself, you're old, blah, blah, you're independent, you're this. No, now you're an adult and you can actually start confronting the issues that need growth. In other words, you're not a ready-made person. You're not even close to it. You've barely worked on one character trait in your life. An adult doesn't mean you figured everything out. Often, you know, as a rabbi, you'll, you'll sit across somebody. They're asking your advice, but they're not willing to listen to anything. Or even teenagers, they're not willing to listen. I know you don't. Again, I might not be right, but that idea that you know everything at the age of 16 or even 60, how in the world do you convince yourself something like that? Why would you? Why would you close yourself to knowledge? Why, like people will sit there saying, oh, you know, I've heard Judaism already. There's not much for it to say. Okay, how much of the Talmud have you read? How much of the Chumash have you read before you sit there giving up on it? We went to Cheder. We maybe heard a speech here, a speech there, but already, no, Rabbi, I, you know, I had a bad Jewish experience or it, I found it shallow and I'm now going to start listening to, I don't, Deepak Chupra, Eckhart Tolle, etc. Now, enjoy them. But really? I remember a story with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. I know you listen to his stuff. The story goes that one time he was talking in the 92nd Street Y, which is a big uh, Jewish uh, social center in Manhattan. And somebody started talking about the future of Judaism and Judaism is dead and we have to all, you know, take stop with this nonsense of, of orthodoxy, etc. And he offered a full vision for Judaism. And Rabbi Jacobson turns to him and says, tell me, how many of the, how many tractates are there in the Talmud? He says, I don't know. Have you ever read a page of Talmud? No. So he says, how dare you show up and talk about what Judaism is all about or isn't if you haven't read, it's like me starting to talk about medicine and I know nothing about it. If I as a rabbi got up over here and started talking to everybody about corona or I, I start believing conspiracies, I'm telling you people all you need to do is drink four gallons of water a day and it's You'd be like, rabbi, hey, 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 hey. And yet it's the same issue. Like we, we're so averse to knowledge and we're so scared of knowledge that we walk around convincing ourselves, I know everything. I'm a rabbi, I don't know anything. I know a drop. You know, Rabbi, you say that, and yet there's such a responsibility in the words you use. You know, you say you would be saying a conspiracy theory or whatever, and people would say, you know, he knows nothing. That's not true, because people see someone in in a position of sharing knowledge, of that they they actually almost put you onto a pedestal. And think, well, he's, he's right. So there's a huge responsibility that comes with words. And you know, you talk about Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle and of course Khalil Gibran. And as you say, you're smiling at me. I love them all. But, um, but I do love Rabbi Sachs and Manus Friedman and you and everyone else as well who can oh, teach me a lot. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I think if we don't understand what we're wanting to learn or what there is to learn, we will take it from any source, and that's the danger. Yeah, and if we're not acknowledging, what am I afraid of? Mm. In other words, why am I so scared to hear that knowledge? Like often even, you'll let's say, talk politics. And I agree with you, by the way, rabbis have to be responsible, and therefore I will not be giving any COVID advice because I don't know anything about it. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, that each and every one of us 
have to know what we're afraid of knowledge. What is the, why am I so scared? So let's say you're talking politics and somebody starts saying an opinion and you get all irritated. Now, they could be totally wrong and you could be right and it's objectively true. But why are you getting irritated? Why are you getting so upset with your sister-in-law who thinks, who sees the world differently? Why are you getting so upset with your child who, you know, is maybe gone a bit to the right or to the left? Yes, they might be wrong, but that anger you have about it is because you're afraid of something. Why are you so afraid of their opposite opinion? Why are you so afraid to explore their worldview? So I always tell people, you know, I come from a very different worldview from most of the people I interact with day to day. come from a very ultra-Orthodox, um, maybe right-wing worldview, and my community is not that. And I often say, I want to give you an example of how I grew up, but I want you not to comment on anything. I'm going to talk to you about the lack of secular education. I'm going to talk to you about right-wing politics. I'm going to talk to you about um, keeping the kids relatively closed from the world. And for the 10 minutes I'm talking to you, I challenge you, don't judge any of it. Because if you're judging it, that means you're afraid of it. I'm not saying become me. I'm not saying go. I'm not saying I'm raising my kids that way. That's irrelevant. But why are you turning red in the face? based on a story that happened on the other side of the planet that you have no power of. What are you scared of? So part of that is actually, I think, getting over that uncertainty, getting over that fear of of what we don't understand and opening ourselves up to hearing what the other person is saying. And, you know, without criticism... Because it's, uh, you know, just, just to go back to, to, um, Franco for a moment when he says that we're each living within our own, we each have our own, um, he says concentration camp. I say we each deal with our own issues. So if we're not prepared to actually recognize that in the world there are so many opinions and so many issues, we're going to try and, we're going to live a very isolated, narrow life. And very judgmental. And, and more so because we, sorry, we went on the topic from the place of freedom. What happens in unfree societies? They dictate your speech. Okay, that's one of the first things that a dictatorship will do is dictate what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. And what's one of the gifts of freedom? The freedom to say, the freedom to think. I'm not saying the freedom to be a bigot and the freedom to be a hater. I'm saying the, the freedom to have an opinion. The moment I'm scared of somebody else, of diversity, I'm a slave again. I'm not free. Freedom means that I give you the freedom to be you the same way I allow myself the freedom to be me. That is so true. We, we'll get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Right now we're going to listen to another very short YouTube, and which I'll ask you about as well, Rabbi Levi Upson. Um, it's by, as you said, I like Rabbi um, uh, Simon Jacobson. It is by him, and it's called "Seeing the Extraordinary in the Ordinary." It's also Reclaiming very your life also consists of rejuvenating your life to eliminate boredom, monotony. And to see every moment, every experience, every detail 
as a miracle. And that requires tapping in to the inner pulsating energy that's there. We don't need to acquire it. We don't need to seek it out. We need to uncover it. We need to free the sparks. Rejuvenating your life. And the secret is that throughout the day, as we've been going through these antidotes, throughout the day, to look, to find, to discover. Yes, to discover the majesty, the magic, the mystique of life. Every interaction, every person you meet, every experience. I remember as a young child, I don't remember where it was, my parents took us to the beach. There were very few people there, but there were some other kids playing. It's one of my earliest memories. We're playing in the sand, and then we suddenly discovered a shell. A shell. Shells are very interesting, intriguing, even to adults. They are like a message from another place from that mysterious sea. And we began exploring it. I remember the kids, what's inside? Is it alive? Just a shell. But the fascination, the spontaneity, never, I never forgot. Can we recreate that in our adult lives? You know, William Blake's powerful words come to mind. To see a world in a grain of sand, a heaven in a wildflower, in a wildflower, to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. He was a spiritual man. These ideas go back thousands of years. Yes, it's a grain of sand. It's a detail, it's an hour, it's the palm of your hand, but it's eternity. This is what we need and must learn to appreciate. And it could change your entire life. The rejuvenation of seeing magic everywhere, of seeing the extraordinary within the ordinary. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm with Rabbi Levi Aftson, and we've just been listening to Dr. Rabbi Simon Jacobson. What did you think of that YouTube, Rabbi? I thought it was a beautiful thought. I, I really thought so, this beautiful idea of, you know, shells and the mystery of it. Um I really, well, listen, he speaks well. I was actually talking about his brother, YY, but they're both good speakers. Uh, what were your thoughts? Okay. What were your thoughts? But you know what? I couldn't help thinking that, in a way, he reminded me of you there. Because, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just as well you said something good about him. But because in this lockdown situation, you have held our community together in the most remarkable way. And it's in a way that you have shown us that there is what what he calls seeing the magic everywhere. 
you have brought a sense of healing into the community by showing us that it was not all doom and gloom and anxiety, that everything was not all fearful. You have had to deal with, in this time, with so much going on in our community, with illness, with loss, um, loss in all its different forms, not just in, in death, but in, in every other form as well. And yet you have given hope to the, to us all to show us that there is, uh, we can reshape our thoughts as Rabbi Jacobson said there. That is very, very kind. I'll be honest. I don't think it's me exclusively. I think in general, the rabbinic fraternity, um, has, and I just want to give a shout out. I really think they've risen to the occasion in a magnificent way during this time to really uh, celebrate this time, even though it has tremendous challenges. And I really think not only the rabbinic fraternity, I think all the leadership within this community and around the world, like when I see how the politicians have dealt with um, the COVID versus religious figures, I really think that religion has, I hope, in the eyes of people, gained brownie points. In, in its incredible understanding, flexibility, unbelievably, um, compassion, and accommodation of a very strange time. And I really hope that people who maybe didn't have the best perception of what shuls are, what religion is, what faith is, have opened their mind, as we said throughout the past hour, opened their mind to see a different, a different version of reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must admit you're absolutely right. You know, Rabbi um, Sachs was talking about, you You would know better than me, um, the Hebrew word bitachon, which okay. means uh, security, he said. And then he said uh, bitachon. Is that right? So it's bitachon and bitachon, which okay, means I'm, I'm, trust which or means? faith. Correct. And, and he was saying that... Um, what we actually, that faith is certainly, is, it's not a certainty. Faith is actually the courage to live with uncertainty. Absolutely. Um, this, this idea that God will, I remember after, like when the, when COVID started, and that, by the way, this is a sign of this and this is a sign of that. Our job as religious leaders and as, as people of faith is never to sit there telling people what God's going to do or not going to do. We have no idea. God doesn't consult me. I'm telling you, true story. Um, and anybody who tells you that God does consult them, then they don't belong in the rabbinate. They belong in a very different kind of place. Um, <laughs> reminds me of the joke of the fellow who comes into a home, and you know, each each one over there is good in sugar. And um, so he turns to one fellow and says, "Do you mind giving me a tour of of this place?" So the guy says, "You see that fellow over there? He's nuts. I'm normal." He says, "Okay, why is that guy nuts?" Says because that guy thinks he's a donkey. Okay, fine. Says what's that guy? What's his? What's he crazy about? He says that guy believes he's the Messiah. So he says, how do you know he isn't? He says because I haven't sent him. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so like this idea of like you know we're not here to talk God and faith means that we don't know what Hashem has in mind. Yes, we believe that He'll do the best for us, but not the certainty, but rather knowing. I'm in his hands and I'm okay. Just like my child doesn't know what I'm going to do for them today. I have a young child. I might have to take them to the doctor to get an immunization. I might have to take them to something which will be a little awkward and hard for them. But they still will come holding my hand because they know ultimately it's for my good. 
That's what it means to be a person of faith. I don't know where Hashem's taking me today. I have no idea. But I'm at faith and I'm at peace with whatever He'll do. And I think that's very important. So going out of lockdown, when you say that you're at peace with whatever is going to be coming, how do you feel that I know that there are, you're facing a lot of challenges going back to shore, uh, churches reopening, or not that that's going to bother you, but the shore reopening. <laughs> and, um, you know, how, how are you feeling about that? So I'll be honest, I, I was nervous. Um, I, I spoke a few weeks ago, I think I even mentioned on the radio that I'm feeling like Noah being forced to go out of the ark. But, you know, after confronting it and facing it, you know, facing the truth within myself, I, I became much calmer. And I said, listen, it's a new phase. It's very different than the last six months. It's very different than six months ago and prior to that. It's a new phase. But it can be beautiful. And I think that not only in our show, I think every show in this country has reinvented what it means, Rosh Hashanah, than ever before. I mean, we're creating packets, DIY, do-it-yourself Rosh Hashanah. It's enabled such creativity because how does it go? Necessity is the mother of invention. And we've been forced, we've been squeezed, and that squeezing has, has created incredible stuff. People don't realize that, yes, whether you choose to go to Shul this year or not is your private choice, but if you choose to stay home, I encourage you to reach out to your Shul and see what they could offer because you might find that you have a more meaningful or original experience than you've ever had before. Don't give up on this year's Rosh Hashanah based on the reality on the ground. On the contrary, force it to make you more creative than ever before. And funny enough, you know, you're saying that it's actually also forcing you to take responsibility. To say, I'm not just handing over to the rabbi and uh, everybody else in the shul to do, you know, to, to actually make this meaningful to me. It's saying you have the responsibility to do it as well. And it's, it's also that freedom to be different. To actually say this year is, is different. Um, and sometimes to be different is to change. It is that choice. To say I, I have the choice to change, you know, I find that I you you say that uh, it's amazing how we have stepped up. Well, everyone has the the religious uh, fraternity definitely has stepped up into this time. I have found that whatever I do, and I've, I've been having to do a lot of things that I normally don't do, like cooking and things, and um, but I I listen to YouTube's. By different rabbis as I do it and, um, and I find them very, very meaningful. It's actually, it's bringing new ideas into my own head. Craig is sending us a message to say, please wrap up. Uh, wrap up, please. Yeah, that's the second time he sent it. Rabbi, how would you like to wrap up? I would like to wrap up, first of all, by wishing you, Sue, and your wonderful family and the listeners an incredible uh, Shana Tova, a good year. A good year, not only the way God sees it, but that within our own reality as well. I believe, I pray, and I believe that things will get better. But every single day that we're in this challenge, to rise up to it and realize that a lot's been taken away from us, but the most important thing hasn't, unless we give it away. And that's our freedom. We can embrace choice. We can embrace responsibility for ourselves. We don't have to be terrified. I heard... Like I was talking to one person who was telling me how terrified they are. Oh my gosh, I might do something that will... 
will kill somebody or kill myself, this and that. Yes, we have to be responsible, but we cannot walk around like that. That panic, that obsession, that that madness is going to kill us quicker than any COVID will. And we have to keep our inner peace and keep faith that it will be okay and that the world is not on our shoulders. Friends, let's go into this year with a lighter heart. This heaviness that some of us are feeling is not healthy. I have to agree with you, and I do believe that we have to celebrate our interconnectedness in this time and remain connected. And Rabbi, I will definitely be speaking to you before Rosh Hashanah, but thank you so much for coming on the program with me today. It is always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, we we enjoy our interaction. So thank, thank you, so you. Much, and God it's bless. wonderful. And I've got quite a nice song that you might enjoy. It's by called The Distant Cousins, and, and it's called Here and Now. It's not one of your songs, but you might enjoy it. <laughs> thank you so much, and I will speak to you, Rabbi.